Howdy, and welcome to the Three True Outcomes podcast, presented by Baseball Prospectus. I'm your host, Ian Lefkowitz, and joining me, as always, from suburban Michigan, it is Ben Murphy. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Ian. It's good to hear from you. Thank you. You too. Um, it is uh, baseball season. Do you have baseball fever? Uh, I've had a couple of fevers so far in the last month, but none of them were related to baseball. Hey, fever. Uh, no. Okay. Muskrat love? <laughs> We'll we'll work on that. Until then, uh, joining us from our nation's capital, as always, is, is Jared Weiss. Jared, how are you doing? Is muskrat love a fever? I don't. How does I, don't that relate? I, I assumed that it was like a a scratch of some sort. <laughs> I, I never really <laughs> dealt like. Maybe I should check to like Genius dot com and see if they annotated the lyrics with some behind the scenes. One would assume. I guess the fever that I had doesn't have a name except for fever. <laughs> like when you have a little kid you just get sick a lot so <laughs> i've only had a fever twice in 2019 so doing great that's good yeah uh jared how is your baseball fever uh baseball started <laughs> <laughs> only for some of the teams jared <laughs> no uh it's been it's yeah it's really high super high do you think we did not record last week because the Orioles were in first place and I ran out of material? <laughs> <laughs> I'm reasonably certain, yes. I was waiting for the call and you guys just showed no interest and I assumed, yeah. There's room on those bandwagon still if you guys want to jump on. Yeah, yeah. I can think of a couple players who, who have been like, thrown out of the bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll get to that though. Uh, certainly saved room. Um, so yeah, any any impressions of of the first week as as a baseball fan from your end? Uh, I'm glad it's back. Glad it's back. Yeah. Uh, right. In a way, and and that first. So that you you did have the first series against the Yankees as as uh, an Orioles that fan. That was glorious. Oh, that was yeah. so good. You probably should have um, the season there. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling pretty confident that's going to be the highlight of 2019, but <laughs> it was <laughs> it was worth it. Uh, yeah, I've been watching I've been watching a lot of baseball. I've been watching. Um, I know, shocker. Um, so far, I've seen um, I've seen about uh, seven or eight games, and uh, I, I have some thoughts. We'll get we'll get to that uh, in a second because I have a couple of overall impressions, but. First, I wanted to obviously lead off by talking about um, the top, the number one topic that I think um, I think audiences love more than anything is us talking about our own fantasy teams. So we are going to get to that. Uh, before we start, um, Mailbag Captain, I have a question for you. Yes. Did you write in the score sheet at baseballperspectus.com to ask your question? No, I didn't. Did anyone else? No. <sighs> That's bad news. We'll answer questions no matter how silly. <laughs> probably probably better chance if they are sillier. Gotta be honest. That's, yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. So, uh, baseball or not, we are we are looking for feedback and love. Uh, it, it is the only thing that gives us validation. Please, uh, score sheet at baseballperspectus.com. Uh, feel free to send us a question. Happy to talk on or off air. Um, so uh, before we um, before we dive into the season, so we we came up with a strategy. Let's say um, not entirely for content development for this podcast, but not not for content development for this podcast before the season, um, where we would do something different. Um, do you want to do, uh, Jared? Do you want to introduce the concept? Um, yes, we. <laughs> so we run a bunch of teams together, and we decided that we are going to each separately own a team, or Ben and I at least will each separately own slash run a team. Yeah. That Jared, I think in our, our collective names that we will take 
control, I guess. I don't know this is right. our opportunity to be very explicit about the fact that Ian does everything. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally everything for all these teams. And that's why Ian agreed, so that uh, we would realize and appreciate just how much he does for each one of the teams. Yeah. At least, you know, I think part of my motivation was because I would like to have an opportunity to be a little bit more connected to baseball, and I think uh, do something to alleviate a little bit of my guilt that Ian does everything for us. Um, I think it's also a little bit exciting just to have a little bit more flexibility. So one of the things that we've always done for all the teams that we run together is like check with each other on stuff, and that includes you know any trade offers and things like that. And I think sometimes, well, almost all the time, that leads to like better decisions for us because we balance each other well and we have a variety of perspectives on things. But sometimes we're a little bit too thoughtful, or at least like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes us a while to get back to people when we're tossing around the relative merits of different options. And um, I think, you know, the other part of this is, you know, Jared and I each have one team. There's still a handful of other teams where Ian's doing literally everything. Uh, and it's sort of like a little sandbox for Jared and I to try to make a sandcastle or keep the neighborhood cat from peeing in it. So. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I would not say I do literally everything. Like, uh, any decision that we make that I think would be fun to discuss, we discuss in just about every league. Um, like like I said in the past, I think we enjoy running teams together because it gives us a chance to talk to one another um, about a thing. But, you know, this is our... We just wanted to change things up a little bit. And, um, you know, I think give you all i think a little bit more hands-on work with at least some teams so we have chosen a couple of teams in leagues that we feel are uh closest to one year leagues actually (laughs) that i'm thinking about it yep um it mitigates our opportunity to really (laughs) run it into the ground forever (laughs) challenge accepted (laughs) yes well, they're also they were also our lower performing teams uh, at the time that we made the decision, um, which you know. Sorry. Yeah, so I, I think for each of these leagues, we uh, want to go into it and um, check in throughout the season uh, on these leagues and just see, you know, you can tell you can tell us as uh, the season goes on what your strategies are, um, how you're planning to kind of attack the, what you see as the problems of the team or um, build upon successes. Um, but let's uh, let's get into specifics. And I think this is the point at which uh, anyone listening can follow along by either, I think, clicking perhaps on a link that we will provide in the notes to the leagues, or um, you can probably just Google it as well. So one of our teams is in the league, uh, BL Kings. Um, and Ben, we will start with you cause this is your team. We actually yeah. have talked about this team on the draft, uh, on this podcast before yeah. during the draft. Uh, so we expansion drafted this team, uh, and for, for anyone who wasn't listening, uh, maybe recap that draft process and our decision that went into it. Mike Trout, Mike Trout, Mike Trout, Mike Trout, Mike Trout. Uh, we went into a dispersal draft so that we could get Mike Trout, and we did that, <laughs> and then we renamed the team to Three True Trout Comes, and we haven't looked back. Um, it's so funny. In the process of doing that, we gave up a bunch of draft picks this year, so we're sort of punting this year, um, so the strategy is pretty straightforward. Uh, Mike Trout and 2020. Um, so... We traded down a bunch of times in the spring draft. We drafted young guys or guys for upside. Well, we Ian drafted young guys, guys for upside, guys that are hurt this year but might be coming back and be useful next year. Um, we've tried to pursue trade targets that fit similar criteria. Uh, and it's perfect for me because I don't really have to do anything. Um we were joking before we started that like Ian still went in and set up our lineup cards for us, Jared and I both. Um, and so I was looking at the lineup card that Ian set up, and Ian, I have to give you a quick shout out. Everything is the same versus lefties and righties except for Conforto and Urias swap between the five and six spots in the 
lineup? Like what? Uh, like they both bat against both handedness, but apparently Conforto is a little bit better against righties. Um, that's not going to matter. Break up the lineup, right? This team, <laughs> this team is going to lose so many games, so many games. Uh, we have so far gone zero and nine, and yes. we have an eight twenty five ERA. Uh, and this is a team with Mike Trout on with it. With Mike Trout on it. We are hitting 222, 318, 356. Uh, so, yeah, it's bad. It's a bad team. Uh, and we hope it's less bad next year when we have a full complement of draft picks and, you know, maybe a healthy Lance McCullers or something like that. Right. So, um, just to be uh like a little more specific about what's happened to the team since the expansion draft um we have uh we've taken a team that i I would say did not just have mike trout to be clear uh so we uh took mike trout we got uh giancarlo stanton back i think we uh we redrafted adam eaton was that true um michael conforto I think Eaton oh, came from the other team, but we picked okay. him up in the dispersal. Okay. Um, so we have Wander Franco, who I actually saw last week, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. I, I know. Well, we, I'll, I'll get to that later. Um, we traded Joey for Bart. Sander Bogarts during the draft, too. I yes. should have mentioned that. Yeah, so we took a couple players and then... Um, turn them into Xander Bogarts, right? Uh, I'm trying yeah. to pull up that trade as well. So I, I think if we're talking about that, so our strategy behind uh, getting Xander Bogarts, I think pretty clear for a rebuilding team. Um, you know, positional needs are not important. Um, and we're just trying to get, I think, literally the best players we can, right? And if we move... Um, I have the trade up if you want me to read it off. Yeah, go for it. Um, Joe Musgrove, Jake Lamb, Adam Eaton, around 12 pick, and around 19 pick for Xander Bogarts. Yeah. So. Which definitely, like, losing Joe Musgrove, uh, a fan favorite of this fan, that definitely hurt. Um, you know, I think Adam Eaton I still liked. Uh, Jake Lamb, I think, was a player we drafted. Yeah, we had drafted him really early. I think our first yeah. draft pick. In the pre, it's like a soft ten, and we drafted him in like the eighth round or something like that. Yeah, I think uh, we did a very good job of pressing the abort button at exactly the right time on Jake Lamb. Um, but you know, we, I think we see Xander Bogarts as a first round talent, and we were willing to crush our team even more in order to uh, go for it. Um, but yeah, that leaves us with one pitcher which is probably not a great sign for our success this year. Uh, and then uh, we drafted a couple of players like Lance McCullers that you said, like Sean Manaya, who I think are potentially coming back um, mid-season. Oh, we also traded for Didi Gregorius. Oh, we did trade for Didi Gregorius. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, I think this is probably going to become clear. Cause we did trade for Didi Gregorius before Xander Bogarts, mm-hmm. but... Now that we have both, I think there's a very strong chance we will nurse T.D. Gregorius back to health and then look to flip him almost immediately, right? Yeah, as soon as we hit a local maximum for his value, I think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I I do feel like this team is in pretty solid shape for, um, for 2020, which is, um, you know, I don't think we are... I don't think we want to stay in a rebuild forever. I think we want to be competitive as soon as next year. Yeah, I think we just sort of felt like missing 10 of the, well, 10 draft picks off the top, basically, 11 through 21, made it so that it it was basically impossible to compete this year anyway. And it was very foolish to attempt to compete in the face of such long odds. Much better to do everything we can for 2020 when we'll have that full complement of draft picks and hopefully even more talent. Right. And you know, something that we've kind of said often on this podcast, both in the current incarnation and the past, uh, drafting with a goal in mind is a great way to, um, 
you know, it's a, a great way to succeed even in competitive leagues if you can just vary the time window off where other people are. Um, you know, I think you have some... I, I think you have a better chance of success. Uh, drafting Mike Trout also uh, definitely helps accelerate your... Mike Trout. Mike Trout. Um, yeah. <laughs> what I'm really excited to listen back to is how the sound balance manages to take care of that. <laughs> yeah. That can be uh, extremely disconcerting. Quick anecdote. <laughs> so we got a tip from friend of the pod, Eric Moyer, that like the volume's a little low, so I tried to boost the volume and I was like listening to it to see how well that went. And I've been sick basically nonstop. And my already nasally voice is like super nasally now that I'm sick and I will never listen to the podcast ever again. I'm sorry. So <laughs> if you want me to try to fix it, I can, but I'm not ever going to check to see how well it went. Hopefully the volume's <laughs> a little higher though, honestly. Um, We're working yeah. on it. Yeah. We don't want to be terrible. We just don't want to have to work to not be terrible. I I have uh, made it to the point where I could actually listen to the podcast again and not hate myself. Um it's been a challenge. It's been a real ride trying to do that. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you for going on that journey. Um, but I did want to, I do want to point something out just cause this is a, this is a useful feature that I think maybe not everyone has seen, but friend of the pod, Rob McCune. Um, if for those of you who are baseball perspective subscribers, you may have, uh, you may be familiar with the score sheet draft aid which we have re highly recommended uh, and the score sheet team tracker, which we also highly recommend as great score sheet tools. Um, this year he has added a um, taken players report on the draft aid. And I think this is uh, just like an incredibly useful benchmark that I've been looking at repeatedly throughout the season. Um, what is that? It's a very simple concept. Uh, I mean, there are a number of different um, there are a number of different concept uh, different panels on this report, including um, you know projections for um, all players on your team versus righties versus lefties. That helps you build and set a lineup. Uh, there's the list of top prospects taken, uh, the mock draft list as well, so you can see who has taken whom. Um, the section that I find the most valuable is uh, league SS sim totals, where you can measure at different keeper levels, the amount of talent that's on your, uh, roster for this year versus other teams. Um, and so with Kings, you know, I think what I've been looking at is, um, something that I should have said about uh, half hour ago is that Kings is a soft uh, soft 10 league so that means there you can keep up to 10 players but you do not have to keep 10 players which means that the value of your top keepers are really the most important things uh the very top keepers um because you can kind of fill in the rest later so i've been looking at the top five keepers where we are third in the league uh top eight we are sixth in the league uh, and we were in the we were in the twenties of this twenty fourteen league before the draft. So uh, before we uh, ex the expansion draft. So I I think this has been a real win for us. Um, the ninety nine keeper version. We are not in first place. <laughs> <laughs> we're not are in we second in place. Second? Oh no. No. No, I, I would keep going. I would keep doing the happy birthday thing, but uh, but we are dead last of the twenty four teams. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, I think that's one of those ways where you can say, um, okay, here is this horrible, horrible team that is going to win. I think like an extraordinarily few amount of games, and yet um, there is a sleeping giant here. There, the top five keepers are about as strong as anyone in the league. And there are a number of ways to get there. This way you can just kind of uh, ballpark it with your eyes. Um, so I think that's an interesting... Uh, it's interesting. I think we're going to use it if we get questions about your league. Uh, it's something that I'm definitely going to look at to try to quickly figure out where your team is um, in relation to others. Uh, I suggest everyone 
Um, again, if you if you like having score sheet tools, I think having a score sheet, uh, a baseball prospectus fantasy, um, uh, fantasy membership is really valuable. Saying that not just as a, or not even as <laughs> baseball prospectus employee, just as a person, it's a uh, it really helpful for uh, score sheet in particular. Um, I think that's enough w- about Kings. Let's pivot to uh, Jared. Uh, so your league is uh, BL. D.W. Murphy, or uh, Dwayne Murphy, I guess, in the Carlin Silver Times. Uh, This is a venerable league uh, that has been around for a very long time. Um, And it is a soft eight league. We've talked about it on the podcast off and on. So very similar lineup. Um, Jared, do you want to introduce the team to us? Um, Yes, by name. Sure. <laughs> we'll start there. By reputation, what? Uh... Uh, but I would say by major concept, and if not, I'm happy to take that part. By major, we want to win. We want to win. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. So we want to win this year. So it's a little bit of a different situation. Um. Yeah. Well, I mean, you already introduced it as mostly a one-year league, which is sort of kind of right. Right. A soft eight league in many ways functions as a one-year league. In a few key ways, it does not. And we'll go into that and how it affected our strategy. Um, But, yeah, I think mostly we've been looking for uh, immediate success. Yeah, it's hard to play like this for three years down the line. It's hard to do that. Um, So... Yeah, so what do you see as uh, kind of your goals for this team uh, as the owner, um, other than winning? Winning is the only goal. That is okay. winning is life. That is everything. Um, how, will you, how will you achieve that goal? I have to say, whatever I'm doing is working out really great because we have the second best record in the league out of 24 teams. So I'm doing so many things right that why would I change anything? <laughs> Reasonable, a real, a reasonable answer. Thank you. Just, just a steady hand on the tills. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to do too much. Is the key in fantasy baseball? Can I? I feel like we have to spoil this. The like <laughs> ten minutes before we were starting to record, Jared's like, "Which league is my league?" <laughs> so. <laughs> Good work, Jed. Good work. <laughs> All right. So now that I'm to torture you. Uh, <laughs> no, my plan for this league is great. Is to have Ian continue to do all the work, but just take credit for it explicitly. I think it's a brilliant plan. Everyone should do it. Um, yeah, so I think this is an interesting team. And it, I think it's a team that has a lot, um, really a lot in common with some of the d- most difficult questions we get. Because it is, it is really a team where the choice is between uh, going for it and rebuilding, and it's kind of stuck in the middle a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think we've had a strong core that has, um, you know, helped us uh, win some regular season record winning team a couple years ago. Um, and obviously, like, who cares about the playoffs, right? Those are random. Mm-hmm, anyway, mm-hmm. like, I, I don't bother looking that up. Uh, but, yeah, we've won a couple regular season, uh, you know, most wins. But uh, now Sorry. now the core itself is aging. So we have players like Buster Posey, you know, Andrew McCutcheon, who are within a couple years of being out of um, – Probably out of, let's say, eight soft eight keeper status. Uh, I think Steven Strasburg, for instance, fits there as well. Mm. Um, and we don't have those younger players behind him. Um, and yet, you know, I don't think when you hear a team in 2019 based around Buster Posey and Andrew McCutcheon and Steven Strasburg that you're thinking, well, that's going to win the league. <laughs> so, you know, it we're kind of caught between two masters here. And so it, um, 
it's going to be very interesting to see how we make it um, and whether we can either guide this team to a win or, um, you know, if we rebuild and how we rebuild in this league, one that is exceedingly tough to rebuild in. Um, so I would say one of the things we did during the draft um because this is a one-year league, because this is a 24-team league, as with the other, this is also a BL, um, we did concentrate a lot on up-the-middle talent. Uh, you know, we drafted... Uh, should we keep Travis Shaw? We may have kept Travis Shaw. Um, but we also drafted Marcus Semyon early. Uh, we drafted uh, Chad Pinder early. We have Buster Posey. Uh, we drafted Jeff McNeil relatively early. Um, and I, I think it, it leaves us with a very interesting team because I, it's, it's a team that feels like ours because basically it has nine players who are like roughly equivalent in, uh, offensive talent. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't have like stars, but everybody is like, yeah, pretty good header. <laughs> um, I think our pitching rotation uh, is theoretically a little more shaky, uh, but we may have um, we may have hit on Drew Pomeranz, who I was looking at, who kind of picked up velocity uh, in the offseason, who I'm interested in. I think Trevor Richards has looked pretty good early on. Uh, I'm hoping Tyler Skaggs is a breakout. I'm hoping Mike Miner is a breakout. This doesn't sound like any sort of pennant winning team. I have to be honest saying the names back. But, uh, you know, with a 24 team league, sometimes you have to recalibrate expectations a little bit. You just don't have the same kind of um, talent base that you might in a 10 team uh, AL or NL. Ian, I've got those draft results up. Um, it looks like we did keep Shaw. We took yeah. McNeil in the ninth round, um, Skaggs in the tenth, Richards in the thirteenth. I'm not sure if there's another player you wanted me to check. Um, yeah, I think we took Wilmer Flores relatively early. Yeah, fourteenth uh, round, second base. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, like I, you know, maybe Jeff McNeil will turn into a keeper. Uh, certainly, he's looked very good in the early going, and uh, some of it was like looking at a player like Jeff McNeil, whose challenge is really finding playing time on the roster, on a very deep Mets roster, and saying, okay, you know, maybe the thing that is devaluing him is that he doesn't have enough playing time and his, um, um, and he may not be able to, um, you know, provide ninth round value this year. But if given a year, given an off season, maybe you'll be able to f get that in a future year. And so while still getting value this year, I think we tried the same thing with Fran Bale Reyes, who so far the season very early, it's just not look like, <laughs> does not look like that's going to be paying off super well for us. But again, you know, get a player in a crowded situation, see if just the innate talent is going to help us uh, in a year to come. And then just pretty swing pretty wildly on some, Breakout picks, you know, I think Chad, you see Chad Pinder in this league. We have Jackie Bradley Jr. in this league. Those are a couple of just straight stat cast um, darlings, I guess, of the moment. And just to see if they kind of break out. Um, you know, we had our April, um, we had our April draft uh, so far. We have it a little earlier in this league than in others. Um, in this league, we uh, kind of look to shore up the offense a little bit. Um, so we had um, Chris Owings uh, batting as our uh, platoon third baseman, um, which is probably not ideal nope. <laughs> to have Chris Owings in your starting lineup. Um, so we ended up... Uh, Drafting. Let me just check to make sure we drafted. Uh, oh, Mark Reynolds to replace him. Oh, we had Chris Owings as the DH, which was really not good. We still have Chris Owings in our lineup. <laughs> At least now he's in the field, which is um, a little better. But you know, as as I said, it, it's really hard to fix uh, when you make a mistake like that uh, in the 
spring draft because especially in a deep league like this, there is, you know, there's nothing left as in the positional um, for position players after a spring draft in this league. Uh, hopefully this is something that the 26th man next year is going to fix a little bit. Um, because, you know, just with short benches everywhere, there's very little you can do to make up for that, except in a trade. Um, Jared, who have you looked for so far as a trade candidate? <laughs> well, first I want to go back. Chris Owing as the DH feels like an indictment of just our general strategy and approach to this thing where we say, well, anyone can play first base. Anybody can DH. And then you end up with Chris Owings, Owings as the DH. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. It's not a great job. But, um, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how this league goes. I, I think um, the challenge for this team is really going to be able to – is going to be to find a direction to go with it. Um, you know, we drafted uh, a couple of rookies, actually, this year. We drafted Cabrian Hayes, um, and we drafted Adley Rutschman in this league. A team like that really plays to Jared's strengths of his uh, decisive decision makingness <laughs> and his decidedly, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm out of decision making words. But uh, you made a horrible mistake. Yeah, you know, we probably need to help Jared with figuring out the direction <laughs> of this team. Then, yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's a chance that we may see the writing on the wall in a couple months and then try to pack it in early. I was going to uh, say or. When this I team looked, surprise. it seemed yeah. yeah, it seemed like the pitchers were over their heads a little bit. I know you called out their early season performances. Do you expect them to keep it up? And and if we aren't at the top of the division in a month, do you think it's going to be because of the hitting or the pitching? Um, I think it will probably be the lack of top end talent. To be honest, on both sides of the ball. Um, I think if we aren't at the top of in the month, it'll probably be because of the pitching, but I am looking more for the pitching to surprise and hold up. And I think if we are at the top in the month, it will probably be because our, the pitchers are continuing to play over their heads a little bit. Okay. Um, but, you know, this might be a pivotal year for our team because maybe this is the year where we pull the trigger and trade Buster Posey and Andrew yeah. McCutcheon for whatever we can get. Everything falls all the way apart. Yeah. Or George Springer. And just see, you know, again, we're just not going to get value back because this is not yeah. a league where you get enough value back to usually make those kinds of trades worth it. Um, but are we going to... Exp- are we going to try to do maybe one or two fallow years uh, as we did when we first joined this league um, where even in soft eight, we were keeping, um, I think we kept Buster Posey for instance, in the soft eight uh, a couple of years before he made the majors um, and just like took a loss uh, on that position over and over again for the chance to pay off, which is again, if you're keeping young stars, you know, that's something that's a little more appealing than keeping, um, you know, potential prospects, I would say. Hmm. So, uh, so it's interesting. We'll check back in maybe in a month, uh, see how, um, see how well, uh, the decision making process has gone. It'll be going great. (laughs) What we're landing on. But, uh, you know, this is, I think also a case where you can look at our teams to give us advice. Um, if you have thoughts on our team, uh, send it to scoresheet at baseballperspectus.com. Uh, we will read it and uh, try not to feel bad about ourselves. <laughs> Already past that point. No guarantees. Yeah. Uh, I have no pride left in my ability to play fantasy baseball, so um, I'm okay with being bad at this. Yeah, so... Um, speaking of being bad at things, um, Jared, you've been watching the Orioles for a week. <laughs> I'm good at watching the Orioles. Yeah, no, you're good at watching the Orioles. I was going to pivot to talking about a player who's maybe had a rough week <laughs> and is perhaps the story of baseball at the moment. I was going to say, even I know about this. That's how big of a deal <laughs> it is. 
<laughs> um, and I, I don't mean to pick on him, and and I will try to pivot off. <laughs> um, but you know, hopefully, hopefully by saying this, I am actually just jinxing him to get a hit tonight. I haven't checked uh, the results yet. Um, uh, but no, Chris Davis is over the season so far. Uh, Chris Davis was over for most of last season, especially the end of it. Um, has now set a record for the most consecutive at bats without a hit. Is that is that correct, Jared? Yes. Okay. Um, not played appearances, but at bats. No. <laughs> the 2019 Orioles, a team of five distinctions. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's one away from played appearances too, something like that. He's close. Um, what is the remaining contract? I'm sure it's over at the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you you don't want to like um cut bait before the season ends, but it, yeah, I think you're coming pretty close to the end of the the run, right? I mean, surely how could he possibly be under contract for any longer than the end of this year? I mean, that'd be He was the worst player in baseball last year. How could it be being that doesn't make any sense. Like Always. if it was another 3 years and 92 million dollars, that would be I was going to say are they at least getting like a good below market deal on him (laughs) (laughs) he got that extension because it was like a low per year rate right well i am looking at him now and and six million dollars of it is deferred uh each year so i mean (laughs) the new new bobby bonilla deal (laughs) (laughs) but i i think the thing that is like the silver lining if anything is that it did not cost them their best player no, I mean, why on earth would you give up your best player to hold on to Chris Davis? That and Mark Trumbo, <laughs> a functionally equivalent player. <laughs> the deferred um, money only goes through 2037, so yeah. I don't know if that's quite Bobby Bonilla. No, wait, right. I was on mute because I was coughing. What 2037? <laughs> uh, yeah. So he's signed through 2022. But the deferred money only goes until 2037. So that's that's going to be exciting. That's a fun article that writes itself. Each, <laughs> each Bro, my daughter's going to be in college when Chris Davis <laughs> is done getting paid by the Orioles. Although possibly my favorite, uh, I'm looking at Cott's uh, contracts now, my favorite bullet point outlining the um, contract is that there is only limited no-trade protection. He doesn't have full... No trade protection. It's just limited. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, he kind of has full no trade protection. <laughs> There's a difference between being uh, untradeable and having no trade protection, right? He's, he's really insured that in in another way. <laughs> it's not true. I mean, it's a sign of his love of Baltimore. I so I, I genuinely I don't mean to pick on him because if anyone is going to, uh, and also strike players who strike out a lot just look horrible when they are slumping because they are just not making, you know, they're no not productive outs. Yeah, so you know, I I think it looks even worse than it is. Um, of course, what it is is the worst player in baseball. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's not like a feather in his cap. But, um, you know, I think this is the year when players are just not getting hits anymore. I was thinking about this because, I, you know, I was looking at the first week. Um, you know, I was watching some games and um, just over and over again, I was just watching like really average pitchers. Uh, just take no hitters into like the fifth inning. Was it was it David Hess who had David no Hess hitter? Went into the yeah, it was longer than the fifth. It was a sixth. It, it was, was a seventh. Six. It, it went a seventh. seventh. Yeah, yeah. I saw um, God Almighty. It was like um, you know, I saw Chris Paddock, uh, you know, make his debut. That was a no hitter through four. Uh, Matt Moore had a no hitter through five innings. Hey, Matt uh, Moore is still good, right? Yeah, and, yeah, and you love Chris Paddock. Yeah. yeah, and Trent Thornton matched him. Um, but you know, in his first start, we I saw Brad Peacock throw a bunch of no hit innings. You know, it was just um, and just up and down. Uh, all sorts of teams are um, just you know average to bad pitchers are 
throwing two hitters, three hitters left and right. Um, and something has like just I don't want to say like broken in baseball, but um, yes, it, I, I think it's a sign that something has uh, formidably changed when we're seeing things like that. And, you know, I, I was thinking about what that means a little bit for uh, our team um, and for Squish in general. We were talking um, just a little bit off air about uh, some concepts around this. Um, you know, there is an article in uh, Joe Sheehan's Valuable Newsletter. Again, that's another thing I would suggest that anyone listening to this subscribe to uh, about the death of the single. And I've seen some follow-up conversations around that uh, on the internet. Um, but the gist of it is that the single is almost gone as a uh, offensive weapon. And it does more than just, like, okay, it's a 3 true outcomes game now. Everyone knows that. Uh, it's been great branding for us. For yeah, <laughs> we pop up all over the place. It's great. Uh, <laughs> just, it's our How most- prescient was that of us? Yes. <laughs> it's our most effective marketing tool. Yeah. <laughs> but, Certainly not anything else that we do. Yeah, it was our one bit of genius. Uh, is just getting up the SEO rankings there. Um, but, you know, I think um, it's not just seeing the three outcomes game uh, going. It's, you know, the single just all of a sudden it makes sacrifice bunts pointless. It makes... Things like stolen bases pointless because it requires, you know, moving the runner over and then moving the runner over again. Um, you know, that um, basically any, you know, any strategy that kind of moves the runner along is really relying on a hit that is in all likelihood never going to come or be an extra base hit if it does. Um, um, thus uh, rendering the initial moving the runner over moot, right? Right. Um, and, you know, I think it has moved the game uh, inexorably towards this uh, batter-pitcher confrontation uh, that either ends in a strikeout or victory with an ex- uh, extra base hit or a home run. Um, and this kind of all-or-nothing thing that is um, has a lot of um, kind of ramifications for the way that baseball is being played. Um and, you know, just thinking about that, because Scoresheet is a league that is kind of um, the underlying engine. Probably it has been built and settled in a different offensive era. To say the least. You know, that there is still a bunt column and a steal column. And those are really the actions that you can take and pinch hitting. And none of those really happen anymore. You know, there isn't like a shift column. Um, that kind of you know reflects the decisions being made today Um, but you know on the other hand there are fewer decisions being made today so um, you know I'm looking at these two hitters one hitters um, and saying like okay how are you building a team this way you know are we looking more even more towards slugging that oh over everything else if the system is expecting hits that just aren't going to show up in a um uh in a simulation and then i guess the question is is that okay because the system is really keying on era and balancing everything else around it is that kind of the natural um the natural safeguard to avoid breaking the rest of the simulation um, and, uh, Ben, if it's okay, I'm going to turn it over to you in a second, because I think you had a couple thoughts on, like, okay, if you're building a simulation, um, what is important? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I think it gets to some of what you were saying about how Scoresheet was built and designed in a time when, you know, baseball as a whole was just played differently. You know, the frequency of events was different and the style was different. Um, I hadn't thought about the last part of what you said about how, like, the ERA matching sort of keeps the run environment in check in a way that might cure some of those other ills. Um, A lot of what I had been thinking about when I sort of 
um, brainstorm about this sort of thing is, you know, what are the things that happen in real life that need to be tracked by the sim so that people that are playing appreciate, um, you know, some some realism and also some fantasy, right? Like, we don't actually want it to be perfectly tied to reality because then we'd just be playing Roto, essentially, right? It'd be completely deterministic. So Right, or Strat or something like that, yeah. Right. And so finding the balance between, you know, just 100% replicating reality uh, and something that deviates so far from reality that it doesn't feel like our abilities as fantasy players to evaluate talent or whatever, um, you know, have a bearing. We want, we want the thing that we see played in real life and our ability to evaluate players as they play actual baseball to be something that informs how well we play the fantasy game. And so you have to sort of pick, you know, and I think you could, you could come up with a ranking or something like that where you're like, well, home runs are probably more important than triples, right? Because home runs are happening more often. They have a more significant driving force on uh, run expectancy and team performance and all these other things. So, uh, you know, you could go through the different ways that a plate appearance can end and have a sense for, like, you know, which things are the most important in terms of how closely they track between fantasy and reality. And my sense is that singles unto themselves probably wouldn't be they'd probably be like in the middle third somewhere it's like my right. my hunch right it, it wouldn't be at the bottom because again maybe something like triples are down there or depending on how finely you want to break it out like the nature of um you know ground out versus line out versus fly ball pop up that type of thing um you know the the type of batted ball out uh, matters a little bit but you know, it doesn't matter as much as um, maybe single versus double versus home run types of things. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I, I think one of the things that is interesting to me conceptually about this is that um, there's a real break point between something like single, double, home run, and ERA, right? Because ERA is something that's measuring outcome. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like the result of an at bat, it's res- it's this overall result of the game. It's this abstract concept, right? So, you know, if a if a pitcher, uh, let's say AJ Burnett's it and allows let's say nine hits, nine walks, strikes out seven, and no runs, I think it's score sheet they're going to allow no runs. Yeah, <laughs> or something. The fact like that this. they allowed no runs is way more notable than the fact that they allowed nine hits. Right. In score sheet. Yeah. Right. And in this world where, let's say, a, a pitchers pitch for five innings, allow two hits and two runs, both by home run, um, the thing that is most notable is the two runs, right? Pitcher strikeouts functionally don't matter. <laughs> yeah, I think that's generally true. Um, the way that the batter gets out is not is not that significant and it's becoming even less significant, right? Right. That's part of what you're getting at with like the decrease in singles is also the, like the increase in strikeouts and the fact that uh you know the ground ball to the right side that used to advance the runner is uh, less and less consequential as the ability for that um base advancement to have um, a difference in the sequencing and how many runs are scored. Right. And you have batting averages essentially collapsing in real baseball, um, mitigated somewhat by the home runs. Um, so, you know, I think what's interesting in building a simulation or something like that would be this balance of like, okay, do we want to preserve this run environment uh, that exists, or do we want to try to simulate uh, the batter pitcher outcome as the func- as the key unit? And then, you know, if you do that, I think you're a little bit more susceptible to these types of changes in league. Um, you think but- tying it more directly to the batter pitcher interaction leaves you susceptible when the run environment changes? 
Yeah, or I think as the batter pitcher, uh, um, you know, if you haven't modeled, let's say, singles correctly, um, you know, there's no countervailing force that's saying, okay, well, I don't care how the team needs to score a run here. It just happens. Right. I think also if you did it correctly and the sim was programmed to track to reality closely enough in terms mm-hmm. of the batter picture interaction, it would automatically yeah. correct itself. Right. And I think, right. I think part of what we've talked about is you sort of want to get to the lowest level that you can if you're really going for realism because it'll have a tendency to correct itself and you won't see weird anomalous results that don't seem to track based on what you would expect to happen. Right. Like that example that you gave with like the Mm -hmm. AJ Burnett start doesn't and shouldn't probably happen very often. Right. Right. And I think some of what we see in the like run balancing or luck balancing types of things that happen in score sheet are situations where like this player's, this batter's performance uh, has to be like at a certain level in order to sort of track to, you know, their like key performance indicators from real life, like on base percentage or whatever. But because the pitcher that they're facing, um, you know, has some luck and run balancing, that means that they're going to artificially suppress run scoring. You get these sort of like weird combinations of things where uh, a lot of runners get stranded or the sequencing is such right. that, you know, things end up looking kind of wonky and you're sort of like, well, you know, I guess you can chalk some of that up to the randomness of sequencing, but uh, at some point it's it looks too weird to be believable. Whereas if you could really track to like the nuts and bolts of the batter pitcher interaction, I think all that would take care of itself or come much closer to taking care of itself. So, yeah. Um, Jared, uh, I'm just curious what, um, you know, between the two, like, do you think kind of preserving the run environment might be more important or, um, you know, do you, do you think this like fundamental unit is enough to kind of carry a simulation through, uh, or is that something you'd be looking towards? Let's say, do you? How do you want your David Hess start reflected? <laughs> David Hess should only pitch no hitters. Um, I lean towards the the fundamental unit, but may I ask a? I, I've been thinking about like a somewhat related question. I don't want to. I don't want to. Divert the conversation if you guys have more that you want to. <laughs> Come on, Joe. This is a very focused yeah. exploration. <laughs> well, I've just been thinking about it from like a more um, like one level up in, in terms of like interaction with the sim. Mm-hmm. And so, and my bias here is that I, I I've never found the managing part of um, stuff as interesting as the GM aspects. Mm-hmm. So, like, I didn't play Strat, but we had this board game called Superstar Baseball that was a facsimile of Strat, basically, and. It was, to me, it was more fun. It was drafting the cards of the Hall of Famers rather than actually playing the games against my brother. And, but it's the same sort of deal. But So I guess my question is, and I think it's related because it seems like that's part of the appeal of something like um, score sheet is that you get to be the manager too and you get to you know, adjust all the other strategies. Every, every batter you decide steal or bunt or whatever the case may be. But it sounds like you know what we're talking about in this in this sort of new environment that the role of the manager, both in, in real life and in, in – in something like score sheet is um, neat, plays less of a role in the sim and like how how should how do you what plays less of a role in the sim managerial strategy oh. yeah right like if the single if the single is less important than steal and stealing and bunting are less important then what are the levers that a manager is has to pull and right. how much does one need to think about that when thinking about the sim Right, and a manager is pulling, like if we talk about a major league manager, the things that they are most doing are, well, frankly, listening to the general manager and like executing their will. But I would say uh, uh, major league managers' biggest decisions are kind of setting the lineup based upon um, batter pitter, pitcher interaction effects, right? Uh, so usually handedness, but things like that. Um, I would say defensive positioning, and this would be the managerial unit, right, including the bench coaches, defensive positioning, and then um, bullpen management. Sure. 
seem like the three big levers. And I would say you're right that none of those seem particularly well reflected right now. I think bullpen management is the low-hanging fruit there. The, like, Mm -hmm. pitcher substitutions should be something that are easier to have a fine-tuned wrench around where, like, shifting and positioning and stuff like that is going to be much tougher. Um, Yeah, because especially since you're already dealing with results uh, shifting. So you can't, like... So shifting the defense and then, on top of that, dealing with shifted player results... I think that's extremely messy to untangle. Sure. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it does seem like that is the way that, you know, managerial decisions are going. And it's kind of tough to say, like, okay, this player needs to bunt in the sixth inning. When, um, and have that be your decision when, you know, so much energy is being focused elsewhere in the real world. <laughs> yes, I, I agree with that. Right. Yes. Uh, so I think it's interesting. I think we might pick that up. We're coming to the end of our uh, our audio recording window right now, though. So I do want to pivot. And, you know, if we have more to talk about on the subject, that's great, because you know what that means. That's a podcast topic for next time. Ooh. Um, but until then... Um, Can I... I want to tease yeah. the thing that we're going to talk about next time. Because I think... Okay. So, Jared, you've talked about this before. It was like, how realistic do you really need it to be? You know, like, what's the driver of how fun it is? You know, because I think everything we're talking about here is like, how can you gear it to be as realistic as possible? But maybe the better question is like, how can you gear it to be as fun as possible? And when are those the same thing? Yeah, and for anyone who has made it this far um, and cares to share their thoughts, we'd love yeah. to hear them at scoresheet.baseballperspectives.com. If you don't have a good uh, score sheet team question, at least chime in with your opinions on sim stuff and we can share those on there. Um, yeah, and, um, you know, again, we'll probably ask that a little more upfront in the next podcast. But um, until then, um, Ben, what is the best thing you saw this week? Um, I was going to go with the Chris Davis stuff, uh, yeah. at first. And then I was like, well, I can't do that. Cause like, and then you said like, you're going to tease Jared about that anyway. So, <laughs> um, I couldn't go there. Um, and one of the things that happens in the timing of like when baseball starts that matters a little bit more in the Northern climates is the start of spring. Uh, so I was going to go with the start of spring. It's been, uh, wonderful weather uh, around Michigan, and it's given me opportunity to take uh, Elise outside, and it's fun to watch her like run around and just sort of be outside for the first time when she's able to walk. Uh, we were outside today. I was like taking the dogs out or whatever, and like a huge gust of wind came uh, and like completely shocked her because you know like, <laughs> you don't you don't think about it like she's spent her entire life indoors basically right uh, wind would, is really strange concept right right like it. and so like this is the thing about being a parent that is like continually rewarding is like you're like oh wait like i never thought about what it would be like to experience wind for the first time so <laughs> she has this like very bewildered look on her face like what is going on uh, it was awesome but um yeah, definitely looking forward to, to spring, getting outside more, going on walks, that kind of thing. So, you need to prep her for next time by blowing on her. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I have actually. They have so babies have this reflex. You may or may not be aware. Of, I think they call it the diver's reflex. So, like, if they're crying and you blow on them, it'll like startle them for a second and they'll stop crying. So, if you're willing to like hyperventilate yourself, you can sort of like mitigate really terrible crying fits. Uh, so, she's definitely had like people blow in her face before uh i won't say that you know it's a go-to move of mine or anything but uh it's not like the wind itself was completely uh foreign like the notion of having like air moving around her it was just like you know of course there's a feeling on her and then like all the trees are making all the noise and the leaves are kicking up and it's just anyway yeah. Can I just say if if I were crying and somebody blew on my face i would be pretty startled too yeah 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 they grow yes. out of it after a while, but, um, yeah, so. It's a good strategy for really anyone who's crying. 
<laughs> just get all up in their face. Um, so, Jared, what is the best thing you saw this week? Uh, I'm going to stretch the limits of one thing and turn it into three things. Okay, cool. Uh, but, but, no. but first, real quick, um, uh, I don't know if you guys remember last podcast, I was like, man, Yankees are so good. Even if they had two injuries to their hitters and two injuries to their pitchers, they'd still be just fine. I'm just going to leave that there for a second. Um, Wait, the best thing injuries? I saw this week was, uh, uh, I'm going to get two things. It's, it's, uh, uh, interaction between fans and players. So going back to the Chris Davis, I want to bring it up before I was watching the game last night when, uh, Chris Davis broke uh, the record and, um, <laughs> sorry. Um, I just love that. It's like the Cal Ripken game. <laughs> you know, were you there when Chris Davis broke the record? <laughs> Yeah, man. Wait, yeah, Jared, weren't you also there when Cal broke the record? I was there when Cal broke the record. So you're like witnessed all kinds of oil records. Well, I wasn't. I wasn't in Baltimore yesterday. I was oh. in the couch because there was only 6,500 people. Was the announced crowd the lowest attendance in Kenny Yards history? What? Um, no. Get broken a few times this year, guys. <laughs> but um, just the the um, and maybe this is maybe me wish casting it onto that. But the way that the fans treated. Um, Chris Davis, when he was up to tie and then to, to break the record, was really positive. It felt positive, at least. It felt like this is a situation where they could have gotten on his case. And there are certainly tons of people who are like, oh, man, you're getting paid $23 million to be absolutely terrible. And and literally anybody else could do what Chris Davis is doing because he's not doing anything. But at least in this one moment, it, it was it felt um, kind of nice that the fans were... Uh, we're not on his case for this one at bat, which must be a really, truly terrible moment in somebody's yeah. life. It's like the Rudy moment, right? Yeah. Sort of, well, yeah. You know what they yeah. say, except the opposite. Right, except. <laughs> well, but yeah. then he doesn't. I mean, I mean look like he's fine, he's getting a lot of money, but like to be have all this attention on just how terrible you are has got to be kind of rough. And it was yeah. nice to see that be somewhat supportive, you know? Yeah, it, it is a bummer for Chris. Like, I, I do genuinely, like, as much as he is a rich person, I do genuinely feel bad for him because... I, I think there's a conflu- confluence of factors that yeah. bring him to this point. And it was actually kind of exciting watching it. I, I got to say, you know, just, you know, whether he's going to get hit. And I don't know if you guys saw, like, on the last one, he actually hit the ball really well. As soon as he hit it, I was like, oh, man, he did it. He, and and if, you, uh, if you look afterwards, like, the hit probability on it was 58% or something. He got unlucky. It was, it was kind of crazy. Um, well, but then just, yep, unlucky is a good word for Chris Tews. Just that's that's gonna be rough when we make all the records move over to Statcast. Stat <laughs> uh, I was at the the Nats game. I don't know when it was last week, whenever it was that uh, uh, Bryce Harper came back for the first game. Um, mm. I managed to get free tickets, and then because it's the Nats, their beer concession stopped working, so I got free beer. So it was, I mean, a win. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, just to see the reaction that that Bryce Harper got. When his first time up, I don't know if it was good or bad, but it was just a thing. And to see Nats fans passionate about something, I guess, was nice. But <laughs> it was, it was just, just kind of interesting being there and seeing both the Nats and the Phillies fans. And there was so much emotion there. It was fun to be there, I guess. I don't have a judgment on it. Who was the person on Twitter that wrote, like, why are you people booing? You were all Orioles fans 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's Which amazing. was just such a remarkable troll. I uh, appreciate it. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's completely fair, but I guess if the Nets are gonna build their fan, you know, build their history of something, this is sort of how it starts. That yeah, and uh, that was definitely a remarkable game. Um, you know, I was gonna stretch the definition of best thing I saw this week, because uh, the best thing I saw this week was not uh, the Bryce Harper Nationals game; it was the first Bryce Harper home game, where yeah. um, he hit a home run in the eighth inning. And then uh, I th- was it the or late in the game. Um, so you know he came up and was just getting cheered by uh, Phillies fans who are obviously noted for their uh, passion <laughs> and love of the hometown crowd, uh, hometown nine. Um, and then you know at kind of in his last at bat of his first game of you know his Phillies career he hits a mammoth home run he I mean obviously he's been looking amazing <laughs> so far the season um, we own him mammoth too home run. yeah I know and the thing the thing that 
got me about that. Well, two things. So one, you know, just uh, the moment, the passion, the excitement in the the stand, you know, him coming out. And it was like, oh, this is, you know, this is what makes sports exciting that you, you know, you can't script things and it just makes things all the more enjoyable for the fact that, uh, you know, when it does happen, it feels uh, electric and alive. Um, but that wasn't the best thing. The best thing I saw about that was that as he was hitting the home run on the replay, um, you could see in his swing, uh, you see a bunch of fans rise and in the middle of the fans, uh, looking like Glenn Close in the natural, is the Philly fanatic staring <laughs> straight to camera with what I can only describe as a shocked expression. <laughs> and everyone is moving, and the Philly fanatic is just like staring at you, dead on, <laughs> with like surprise, joy, all the emotions that you can expect from felt. <laughs> <laughs> and you know as everyone rises and uh you know eventually you see the philly fanatic just get ready to do his thing uh his thing obviously being less enjoyable <laughs> than just staring blankly <laughs> straight to camera uh you uh you just appreciate like oh this is this is amazing this is a moment this is like wonder boy all over again <laughs> I knew there was a twist coming. I didn't see that one. That was pretty good. Maybe there is some magic in baseball after all. <laughs> all right. So on that note, uh, please send us uh, your thoughts, questions, uh, memories of the Philly Fanatic uh, to scoresheet at baseballperspectives.com. Until then, on behalf of Ben Murphy and Jared Weiss, I'm Ian Lefkowitz. Thanks again and have a great day. <laughs>